This show includes adult conversations around sometimes sensitive topics. Check the show notes at cxmhpodcast.com for trigger warnings. You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to a new episode of CXMH. I am your guest host today. My name is Andy Kolber, and I am helping out my friend Robert Vore. He and his wife just had a new baby, and so it's my honor to be here today. I am a licensed therapist and writer in Castle Rock, Colorado, and the topic for our show today is going to be about why knowing how to grieve is a bedrock to mental health. And so for a lot of folks, this might be a topic where they're thinking, let's not talk about grief. Like it's just, it's a hard topic, but I'm an Enneagram four. So grief is one of those topics that I don't mind talking about. And if you need to know a little bit more about that, I would check out a recent episode by Dr. Holly Oxhandler. But, but grief is one of those things where a lot of times my work with folks ends up talking about, um, what is grief and why does it matter for us? And I think this is one of those things that just continues to matter. And we're going to unpack that a bit more today. And so, yeah, just to look to that. And so one of the first things that I would say is that learning to grieve is essential to what it means to be human. And, and so Where I want to go with that is, you know, this is CXMH is about the intersection of mental health and faith. And so I want to read Isaiah 53 to you, some of it to you guys, and and just to listen to, to, to Jesus and what it was like for him and what his experience of being a human was like. And it says this, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And and then it goes on to, to talk even more. And so I share that because I think just right from the get-go, as as we talk about grief and from, you know, a distinctly Christian perspective in mental health, I think it is discussing this idea that grief is a part and, and a normal part of what it means to be human. And so I also really appreciate uh, Dr. Brene Brown has a, a famous quote. You may have heard it. She says, we cannot selectively numb emotions. When we numb the painful emotions, we also numb the positive ones. And so I don't know about you, but I grew up and I know a lot of my clients, and I think we can find some pretty good evidence that a lot of people grew up um, with the experience that it wasn't okay to feel feelings. 
And so what I mean by that is sometimes it's, oh, certain types of feelings are okay to feel. Certain experiences are given validation and then certain ones are cut off. And the reason why grief is so central is that it kind of represents this idea of what our body actually needs to do to move through especially difficult emotions. And so like Brene Brown is talking about, you know, we can't just numb some of the emotions because what we then do is we cut off ourselves from joy. We cut ourselves from actually being able to really be present. And I think, I think that matters a lot. Um, a lot of people, man, how many clients have I had who talking about this idea of grief, um, have a very narrow definition of what it would mean. It's like, if, um, you know, if X happens, then I'm allowed to grieve. If the worst possible thing happens, grief is now okay. And, you know, I think obviously when we've experienced some big losses, of course, you know, I don't want to diminish, um, that there are different levels of how we feel things. When we lose a person, um, to death, to unexpected loss, um, when we, you know, go through things that are, um, the intensity of that loss at the bigger it gets, um, it's really normal that the grief is bigger. But similarly with grief, it's like those waves of emotion. Um, we can have smaller losses and smaller transitions and smaller emotions. And the thing that's interesting is that we have to learn how to feel those too. And that's where a lot of people, I think, get get a bit confused. It's sort of like they have been taught um, to really, I would use the word dissociate, meaning separate, to cut themselves off from their emotional experience because it is, especially in the Christian world, there's a lot of people who've experienced shame um, as though they're complaining, as though they are not a good enough Christian, as though they, you know, that they if they were doing things a different way, they wouldn't have those feelings. And the thing that is that, you know, that honestly is so hard for me to watch with that is that I'm a, you observe people in that place. And what happens is that then when a more difficult thing comes along, they've never learned how to feel feelings. And so, you know, similar to this idea, you know, there's this, the idea in the Bible where, you know, as you steward a smaller thing, you kind of have permission to steward a bigger thing. And I think it's actually very similar with our emotions. If we've never learned how to feel smaller emotions, ooh, it's hard when we get to a point where we're actually feeling having to feel bigger emotions. And so, you know, in a culture where there is really, um, there's really mixed, um, you know, perspectives on whether or not it's okay to, you know, emotionally process things in certain ways, um, what we find is that, you know, there's a lot of people who get to their thing that is, you know, maybe fairly significant. Maybe it's a, it's a big job loss or it's moving across the country or it's, you know, a friend, a, a, a pretty significant betrayal from a friend. When those things come along, it's as though they've never had any practice doing the smaller thing. And so going back to this original idea of 
that grief is a bedrock of mental health, hopefully you can begin to see that this is about um, grief is like this uh, microcosm idea that can change in its size, but is always at its core about knowing how to process. Now, one thing I talk about pretty frequently um, with my clients, or if you've heard me on past CXMH um, podcasts, is that I'm a trauma-informed therapist. And and I also, I, I mean, I'm essentially a trauma therapist. I do a lot of trauma work, but even when I'm not working with folks who um, are coming in specifically for trauma, I'm actually always using this lens. And what's interesting is, is that this is essentially what that means, is that grief and feelings and emotional regulations are all tied to that idea. And so even when someone comes in and they're not dealing with something that would, you know, really be diagnosed as traumatic, we're always looking through the lens of what kind of tools do they have to be able to move through this emotion. And, you know, there's been some great um, you know, I love the work that has been done recently. Uh, Dr. Dan Siegel has done some great work around just what it looks like to have our connections and how that helps our body to sort of regulate itself and regulate our emotions. Um, I've talked about this probably ad nauseum, but if you've never heard me talk about it, also the body keeps a score is such a wonderful one. But today, I also want to share with you some other perspectives that are not necessarily from folks who would be considered um, trauma-informed in the classic sense, but that, but it's still, it's still right along that line. But before I get to that, there's one other thing I want to address about, about grief, and that is Many people have heard of um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and her work on um, the the terminally ill um, population that she studied where she came up with the five stages of grief. And one really common misunderstanding about the stages of grief is that they're linear. And so if you have never heard this before, I just want to, I just want to address that because so the stages are, um, as as it was studied, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And and so I would definitely agree that all grief ultimately is actually about moving folks towards acceptance. And I think her work was extremely important in just helping people get any type of framework, especially medical professionals, um, but also, you know, really anyone who's working with people who are hurting. Um but in terms of what is it, what it, what is grief? What does it look like? How do we wrap our mind around it? But I think it's pretty well agreed upon now that these, these stages definitely aren't linear and, and it often just looks different for different people. Um, and that it's really a very unique experience. And what's important about that is to, in grief, not put ourselves in a position where it has to look a certain way. I think that's where a lot of folks really get stuck. And again, when you hear me say grief, don't get stuck on the idea that it has to be what is considered, you know, a major loss. You know, again, these can be little, these can be little losses and those little losses um, really can add up. And I think oftentimes, you know, again, our culture isn't great at honoring 
um, loss and change. There are so many cultures that do such a great job. I, I think of like Jewish culture, how even when, you know, when someone um, dies, the types of rituals that are gone through in order to really honor the significance of that loss. And you can even see that, you know, in the Psalms in terms of just the depth of emotion. And so all that to say, I think it's really important to just note that if you have been taught that that your processing, your feelings about things need to really fit into a certain framework, um, I hope this frees you up because I think our emotional experiences are are just about as unique as each of us are. And that's okay. I mean, there are, there are common threads to all of those things, but, but oftentimes it's, it's the need for it to look a certain way that really definitely can keep us stuck. And so give yourself that permission to, 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 to sort of move into what you need that to look like. And you know, I, I've often, I've had a few people ask me, you know, are we always grieving? What does that mean? You know, do you ever stop grieving? Are you ever finished? And, and I think the answer to that is yes and no, essentially that to some extent, to some extent we do complete. The goal is to really to move to acceptance. Um, but as you can imagine, moving into acceptance, which essentially means this idea that um, we're able to adapt to a new reality. It doesn't mean we're celebrating the reality that we're currently in. <laughs> it means that we're able to, to view the reality and say, you know what, this is um, where things are at. And based off of this reality, I can, I can move forward um, in some way. And it doesn't mean that we don't still see that that thing has mattered to us. Um, and even maybe at times needing to go back and do more processing, but it's an ability to essentially adapt to, to what is now true. Um, acceptance again is not, is not, you know, necessarily being happy. And I think, um, happy about whatever we have lost. And I think that's a really big mis misinterpretation of what it means. Um, you know, a lot of times I do, I do a particular type of trauma work called, um, eye movement desensitization reprocessing and, you know, tuck this away in your back pocket as just a, as a thing, but it's essentially a modality that at its core is about helping people grieve trauma. And I use the, I, again, I use grief very loosely there because really what it's about is helping the disturbance or the trauma become unstuck and fully process in their body. But the goal again is acceptance. And so like we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, you know, these waves of emotion that are bigger get a little bit smaller here. Um, with this type of grief versus the, the huge waves of intensity that might be experienced with, um, with trauma. And so just, just know that don't get stuck in those, you know, those frameworks that, that tell us it has to look a certain way. So the other thing I want to, yeah, I want to share a couple of quotes with you guys that I think are really helpful um, and I really appreciate. The first is 
from an amazing um, poet. And I am going to forgive me because I, I only read her name. I don't typically say it, but it um, is Nayira Rahid, Rawid, I think. And her, the quote is, feel it, that thing you don't want to feel, feel it and be free. And I would just so encourage you to check out her work. But um, I love this quote because it is, there's something about poetry that sometimes gets to the heart of things in a way that is so gorgeous. And yet, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't even have com- the words for it. All that to say, you know, this is often what we do with, with things that are hard is that we say, you know, I'm going to put this thing in a box because it just feels a little bit too big. Um, and, and over time that thing can often grow and then we just continue to avoid it and we say, nope, I'm still not going to feel it. Still don't want to feel it. And without realizing it, we've become a little bit of a slave to that, to that thing because we, um, were unwilling or maybe don't we we don't have the tools to feel it and so I think there's just such wisdom in that the other the other quotes I want to share with you a few of them are from a recent book um, by Kate Bowler and Kate Bowler is I've just been loving her work Um, she has she's in um, a professor at at Duke and I believe she is an American I think it's American religion professor, um, a a history professor. And she, she got stage four cancer and she later, you know, that kind of changed later to be incurable, not terminal, but, um, you know, you'll have to follow her and, and, and get more information on that. But essentially she wrote a book on her experiences and, um, it's called everything happens and other lies I've loved. And it's a really important book, um, and and it's on grief. But I would say, again, you know, to have to have a wider view of grief, it's sort of more about um, learning how to feel, and facing those things that are hard, and knowing that um, how do we wrap our mind around what is true now, and and so I think, yeah, I just think it's a really really important book. So go and please get it. But so she, so one of the things that she has done is that she has um, studied the prosperity gospel and, you know, she does that in a very gracious way. But part of the prosperity gospel is basically saying, you know, if we proclaim with our mouth um, certain truths that God will bless us in certain ways. And so uh, the theological ramifications are that is that if we're not doing that, um, in the way that we should be doing or because of unconfessed sin, that that's probably the reason why we're going through something. Um, and so you can imagine, so she studied that before her book and, um, and so she talks about that a little bit. So one of the quotes that stood out to me as I was reading, you know, she kind of talks about the way that different people react to her as she's sharing about her diagnosis. And she says, But most everyone I meet is dying to make me certain. They want me to know without a doubt that there is a hidden logic to this seeming chaos. Even when I was still in the hospital, a neighbor came to the door and told my husband that everything happens for a reason. I'd love to hear it, he replied. Pardon, she said, startled. 
The reason my wife is dying, he said, in that sweet and sour way he has, effectively ending the conversation as a neighbor stammered something and handed him a casserole. So I think, you know, I share that part with you because it's, you know, in a way, there's always the people who really want to say, here's what you need to know for sure. When you're having an emotion, they kind of want to kind of come in and just say, hey, this is, this is what's true. This is what you need to know. And the thing that's interesting about this is that it doesn't necessarily mean that certain things that they're saying aren't true. It just means that a lot of times it's not helpful as you're processing something. And, you know, obviously, again, there's different levels to that. Um, and the more intense the loss and more intense the grief, I think the more people want to make us certain because a lot of folks aren't great um, with pain. And they, again, they've never learned what that's like. And then another one that she shares about is the folks who want to minimize. And, and so she says this, the first is that I shouldn't be so upset because the significance of death is relative. I like to call the people with that message, the minimizers. Some people do it spiritually by reminding that, reminding me that cosmics, cosmically, death isn't the ultimate end. It doesn't matter in the end, whether we are here or there. It's all the same, writes a woman in the prime of her youth. And so again, you know, this is, this is that reaction to someone's pain, just wanting to minimize it. Let's, let's not have too much pain here. Um, because that, you know, often is about them feeling uncomfortable with the pain. She goes on to say a couple other quotes, and one of them what is all about that you shouldn't complain. That, you know, again, she kind of pulls from her experience with the prosperity gospel. And she says, it reminds me of the many times in studying the prosperity gospel that I was chided for complaining. The moratorium on negative speech is so thoroughgoing that I only saw one giant display of insubordination. I was on a trip to a particularly blingy megachurch that insisted on spray painting everything in gold. The church had set up a large wooden cross on the background so that believers could write a prayer, prayer request and nail them metaphorically and literally to the cross. When I went to tack my prayer up, I saw that someone had already put on a note front and center. I pray that this church would spend more money on employee compensation and less money on gold lions. I love, I love that one because, you know, obviously it's someone basically being passive aggressive to the no complaining idea. So yeah, so ultimately, you know, just all of these ideas, as you can see, it's, it's folks reacting to saying, you know, this is, this is not okay. You may not have this experience. You may not have big emotions. She also goes on to name um, people who want to teach you in the midst of your pain, you know, oftentimes I call this jumping ahead too quickly, um, where someone is not really in a place where they want to hear that or are ready to hear it. Another's is the, is the solution people is what she names. And, and those are the folks who are ready to just say, let's just fix this. Let's just do this right now. Here's the pills you need to take. And oftentimes, again, that doesn't let people process. And I think, you know, what's important about this is that it applies to folks who are really um, in some pretty painful spots in terms of, 
you know, losses that are extremely intense, but it also applies to people when you're, when you're sad about um, a job loss or when you're sad about that something is changing. And it doesn't mean that we don't sometimes need advice or help from other people, but recognizing and trusting ourselves in the midst of that is so incredibly important. And so, you know, I, again, I highly recommend that book if this, if this topic is something that you're, you know, really resonating with. So finally, I want to talk a little bit about what, what can you do? Um, if you're feeling like, gosh, I could use some support around this area. Um, you know, I think in certain instances, I think it's really helpful to see a therapist. So just know that if this is something that you feel like you keep hitting your head against, that that is something I definitely recommend. But I don't, I know that for a lot of people, that's not always a possibility. Um, that's just, that's maybe it's logistically or financially. Um, so I wanted to give you a few ideas around ways, ways to continue processing things that feel like they are, um, there's some grief there. And, you know, one of them I think is maybe a slightly more obvious one, but I think is, is a really helpful, um, a helpful idea. And, and that is, you know, finding some of the Psalms that express really deep grief and spending some time just sort of um, visualizing yourself speaking some of those words and and giving yourself permission to speak those words with a lot of emotion and and even as you go from there to be able to pray with God to God um, through that emotional experience, I think can be a very powerful thing because it's sort of really um, utilizing some of the the framework of of deep grief when you sometimes don't necessarily have the words. I think that can be a good option. Another another idea is something I would call a loss inventory. <clears throat> and there's a couple ways you could do this, but one of them would be to, you know, sort of create a timeline of your life and look back and and sort of, you know, spend some time make sure that you you know, you don't need to get anywhere quickly because this will bring up some big emotions. Um, but, but, you know, with a, with a paper, draw a timeline and using like a marker, mark some, some bigger losses that you've experienced. Um, but then maybe go back and with a different color, mark what might be considered like culturally, not necessarily big losses, but still felt like losses. Maybe that was moving away from a house or moving from a school or, um, losing a friend, um, to a different friend group, or, I mean, there's, there's lots of things and those are very, going to be very individual. But as you do that, you know, I think spend some time looking back at all of those things and, and notice, have you ever had the opportunity to really, to grieve those things? And if not, that gives you an idea of, you know, kind of where to go with processing some of those, those things that maybe have never gotten the attention that they needed. After you do that, another great thing to do is to find someone who you feel safe with. And, and what I mean by that is that they, um, they're not going to be perfect, but may, but hopefully are not in that minimizer, no complaining, teaching, solution people. And maybe even stating, you know, what you need from that person. Like, hey, I'm not looking for any answers here. I just, I just want to share with you some things that happened. And, and sharing that loss inventory 
with um, with a person who just you feel connected to, I think can be a great practice and sometimes can even give you new insights as to how you feel about it. And, you know, we just have a ton of research that shows us how important those connections are and what it means even to be with people. And again, sort of like similar to that first practice of, of praying to God, with God, experiencing God, um, really can change us in our experience. And so I think that's a great activity to do. And then another place to go from there would be to create some sort of um, symbolic, either art or something that feels like a, a ritual to honor um, maybe any of those losses that, you know, feel like they never really got the closure, that they never moved towards acceptance, you know, and, and for a lot of people that looks like art, um, it could be a letter, it could be, you know, if it's, it could be someone, you know, maybe I've known a lot of folks, a lot of women who've experienced infertility, it could be honoring some of those experiences and honoring maybe even the day or having, you know, lighting a candle and a prayer and something that feels significant and weighty to give it its due that maybe it, it never had. And so again, um, wrapping that up with if, you know, if you're one of those folks who feel like, you know, I'm trying to grieve, I'm trying to do these things, it feels like it's not moving forward. I think that's always the sign. The stuckness of it is a sign that maybe we need extra help. And so I just want to encourage you to know that there's no shame in going to a counselor or finding someone who is trained in these areas to get additional help, because I think that happens um, for a lot of people through different stages of their lives. So I hope you learned something today. It has been my pleasure um, to share this with you and take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMHPodcast at gmail.com. A final note. If you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.